And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Back to the Bins proudly presents... I've got a few things to say about Superman. Hello and welcome to the final episode of I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman. Now I know what you're thinking, you're going, what? what, what? Final episode? It's okay, don't panic, I'll be going into this more toward the end of the episode. So stay tuned. For now, however... I want to touch on some feedback we've gotten to the show, and I do apologize that it's taken me so long to get to this. You guys are probably asking yourselves, dude, where have you been with this show? What is going on? And now you're saying final episode? As I said, chill out. It'll all be, it'll all come together <laughs> toward the end of the show. So before we get into uh, our episode proper for this time around, in which we wrap up the leper from Krypton slash death of Superman slash funeral for Superman slash Superman's throwing himself into the sun. What's going on story? I want to touch on this feedback. I do apologize. It's taken me so long to get to this. Our first one from all the way back in February. This one's dated February 21st. I'm so sorry. This one is from my good friend, Mike Biblio, Mike Petit. And he writes in saying, Feedback on something to say about Superman number nine. He says, Hey, Scott. Something to say number nine was a lot of fun to listen to. I especially enjoyed your comments about those quote-unquote mysteries the Silver Age comics challenged readers to solve. When my son was five years old or so, I was introducing him to comics. Uh, We would read lots of those quote-unquote We've Given You All the Clues stories in the black and white showcase volumes. He really took up the challenge. While I was content to turn the page and keep reading, he'd insist that we stop and pore over the previous pages, looking for the clue that would clear everything up. We gotta figure it out, Dad, he'd say. Of course, we never did solve one of those puzzles. (laughs) Although I think once or twice we were in the ballpark, i.e. it has something to do with a Superman robot. I'm glad you resuscitated this podcast for Superman's 75th birthday. Looking forward to the next installment, and I hope many more to come. And again, that's from Mike, Biblio Mike Petit. Indeed, Mike, indeed, there are more to come. I know I said this was the last episode. As I said, hang on, it'll all be explained. I have another piece of feedback here. This one is similarly uh, dated way on back. This one is from March 13th. Again, I do apologize. This is from, oh, I love this guy, Luke Giaconetti. He says, I've got a few things to say about Superman, Superman's funeral. He writes, Scott, just listen to episode 9 of I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman, where uh, you covered the first part of the pre-crisis funeral of Superman. I wanted to drop you a line about this episode because even though this is an issue I have never read, uh, but have known about for uh, about 20 years now, he says, let me preach on this. Back in the early 90s, when Funeral for a Friend had just wrapped, Wizard Magazine did a special edition focusing on Superman. I remember that. He said, and it actually 
uh, was quite a nifty little book covering all periods of Superman's history with articles, commentary, and pictorials. I was reading the Superman books at the time and really enjoying them, so I read that special from front to back uh, over and over again. And I will always remember the final page of the special, which talked about the first funeral of Superman. I forget who wrote the piece, and uh, I don't have the special uh, out right now to check. Now, let me just stop you right there. This this story, while I really love it, and uh, it's it's very involved and it goes over several issues, is hardly the first Death of Superman story. In fact, uh, my buddy Andrew Leyland, not long ago, um, it's probably a couple months back now, uh, did a whole series, uh, he and his son, uh, covering Superman. It was a, you know, for the uh, 75th anniversary, it was a look back at Superman. And one of the, the really, really great issues and, and one of the, my favorite episodes they did of that retrospective was where they covered the story, I believe it's written by uh, uh, Jerry Siegel, if I'm not mistaken, called simply The Death of Superman. It's um, what we would call today an Elseworld story, an imaginary tale of what if Luther uh, actually got his revenge on Superman and, and took him out. It's a great, great story. So, like I say, the story I'm covering right here, hardly the first death of Superman. Uh, anyway, Luke continues. He says, um, I have lost my place. Oh, here it is. <laughs> but the article itself described this story, including revealing the twist ending, which you alluded to, and I will not spoil here because I don't know when you'll be reading this email versus when you do the issue synopsis. Uh, but that knowledge of the twist ending, coupled with your description of the issue, was really enjoyable for me. I have never read much of this era of Superman, but I'm uh, interested in checking out this story, if nothing else. So I really hope you do, because, like I say, I love this story. It's one of my favorites. Uh, even as it seems more and more comics uh, readers and creators, along with the general public, seem to get enamored with Batman and forget about Superman, I find myself more and more drawn back to Big Blue. I, for one, miss the days when a Superman guest appearance was a big deal in a comic. We've gotten back to this a little bit in the New 52, and I have high hopes for the new creative team on Action Comics, as well as the uh, new high-profile Superman Unchained series by Scott Snyder and Jim Lee. Despite the incredibly bad title, why not just call it Superman Man of Steels or Adventures of Superman and the new movie? I want DC to be Superman's world once again and not Batman's world with Superman also appearing in it. Just some thoughts. Thanks for your time and thanks again for the show. Looking forward to more episodes. Luke. Luke, that last little bit, that last sentiment, <laughs> I, I, I could not agree with you more. Uh, absolutely agree. Uh, it's, it's one of the reasons... Amongst many that uh, I'm not uh, up on current, present-day Superman as he's uh, appearing in you know the regular funny books, just because, uh, yeah, you know I, I don't want to get into much to to that sort of thing here, but just you know my thought on the whole thing is it doesn't feel like DC has been Superman's world for some time. You know I always loved it back in the day when. Superman was the king of the hill, you know, he was the top tier and everybody else kind of filtered out and spiderwebbed out from Superman. It doesn't feel that way to me anymore. It really hasn't felt that way in, in quite a long time. As a matter of fact, I was just having a conversation with someone about this the other day um, in, in which we were talking about how it seems present day DC is almost ashamed of Superman. Um, they clearly don't know what to do with the character. And I, I think that's a shame. Um, 
I think that owes back to uh, a lot of the reasons why <laughs> they finally uh, had John Byrne put his money where his mouth was back in uh, the mid-80s when they allowed him to do what he did with rebooting the character because Byrne had long said, you know, it was kind of a mantra of his that, uh, ah, DC don't know what they, you know, they don't know what to do with Superman. And uh, I think we're, to a certain degree, I think we're back at that again. Um, but not even so much that they don't know what to do with him is, um, as I say, almost like they're kind of embarrassed of him or something like that. I, I think that's a lot of the reason for the shakeup in his look, the shape up, uh, shake up rather in uh, his demeanor, in his attitude, and the way that he acts, and a lot of the things going on with the character present day, both in. Uh, comics and film that to me are rather unsuperman like uh, I think again I think it's an attempt to uh, appeal to uh, folks that that don't necessarily dig on the character in the first place to try to get those people interested which that's fine I, I can see that you know there's a much larger market out there for you know to be appealed to than the hardcore fan base I get that. But at the same rate, um, when you're talking about a character that is an American icon, uh, a national institution, that sort of thing, and I think I've probably harped on this before, but I, I think you have a certain responsibility to treat that character respectfully and, and in a certain way. The problem with that, uh, you know, the... the thing that's right at the core of the apple so to speak is that dc is in the business like all businesses of making money they're not in the business of stewardship of a national icon um i that's a hard thing for me to swallow because as a kid i don't know that i got that i don't i don't know that i i clearly never had that feeling like like they weren't like they didn't have a sense of responsibility um but again, maybe that's part of the reason why um, DC was having a tough time during my, you know, during the seventies, during the, the time when I was a kid. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe there there was that half and half going on where they were trying to be faithful to the character, uh, steward the character, all that sort of thing, and sales were suffering because of it. So you know, there's definitely a, a catch twenty two involved. But I, I sure hate to see the character sold short just uh just you know to try to garner uh, a buck that, that seems wrong to me it seems sad to me for him to be treated that way but anyway enough on that i will be talking a little bit more uh about sort of that sort of thing later on and uh and the reasons why um i haven't been around much lately with this show why there was uh, another big fat hiatus and uh, my feelings about certain incarnations of present-day Superman. But that's all for much later in the episode. Right now, I want to really dig in. I want to get to this final chapter, the final exciting chapter in this ongoing story of Superman the Leper from Krypton, uh, the death of Superman, as it were. So we're going to go all the way back. Now, this is cover dated August 1968. I failed to look up exactly when it came out, but uh, if 
feel free to go to Mike's Amazing World of Comics, and you can look that up for yourself to see exactly what month in 1968 this issue came out. We're looking at Action Comics number 366. Original cover price on this, a mere 12 pennies. Wow. cover on this is by Neil Adams, and I dig this cover a lot. It's really, really cool. We are actually inside the bottle city of candor we're in an apartment i don't know whose place this is i guess it's supergirls uh, maybe she still has a bedroom at her folks place or something do folks live in the can the bottle city at this time i can't remember anyway we're inside the bottle city and it's really cool it's a very uh, very 60s apartment in this futuristic uh, kryptonian city inside of a bottle supergirl she's sitting in a in a comfy 60s looking chair She's holding an issue of the Daily Planet that has the headline on it, Superman Dead, and it has a headshot of Superman on it. And she's surrounded by six men, uh, all very physically fit-looking dudes. Uh, you've got blonde-haired guys, uh, brunette guys, you've got a dark-haired guy. It looks a lot like Superman, except he looks a little bit more like uh, a Peros Bruce Wayne than, uh, than Superman. They're all dressed in Superman outfits, which is really cool. Although the guy that looks the most like Superman, again, the one that looks like a, a Peros Batman, he, uh, for some reason, the buckle on his belt is missing. He's the only one whose costume is not quite right, just because he has no belt buckle right in the middle. That's kind of strange. Supergirl's holding up this newspaper, and she's saying, Superman, the one, the only, the original, is dead. One of you Kandorians will take his place on Earth if... You have what it takes. I like this cover. I like this cover a lot. However, it does sort of bring up something I'm going to talk about in a little while. Uh, uh, one of the issues I have with this particular um, story and one of the, the questions it definitely raises for me. Um, by the way, I really like the background here. It's very simple. It, it's just, you know, very, very basic uh, pencil and ink job in the background, but through the window behind Supergirl, you can see uh, the bottle city of Kandor just in a very loose sketch with not a lot of detail in it. Very futuristic looking, very cool. I, I always like futuristic cities, and uh, Adams does a really good job with this one. So, turning the page, getting to page one, we have basically another uh, cover set up. This uh, is kind of a trope of comics back during this time where rather than get right into the story on the first page, you had essentially another cover. I think this is probably because so many books wound up coverless back in this era. And I often wonder, did the comic companies realize that even though the way the system worked back in the day that, you know, you, the, the, the uh, newsstands would tear the cover off and send it back for credit for unsold issues. Did they know that a lot of the places were still going ahead and, uh, and getting the comics to the kids anyway, so that a lot of kids were winding up with coverless comics, and that's the reason why so many of comics back in this era had basically a second cover. You know, the first page of the issue basically set your cover up again. It, sometimes they were the same or very similar. Sometimes they were a little bit different. This one's different. This one is a Supergirl. She's holding a, a newspaper, sobbing, and the newspaper... Again, it's a Daily Planet. Instead of saying Superman dead, this one said, says on it, Superman lives. And uh, 
<laughs> the picture they have of Superman is Superman flying down uh, busy city streets, and uh, there's all this confetti and ribbons and paper, and you know, there's this big celebration. The picture is hilarious because today this is what we would call a bad Photoshop job because it really looks like Superman's head is badly Photoshopped onto this this photo of him. But he's flying down the street, and it says, Superman lives, Man of Steel, cured of Virus X, receives tumultuous welcome on return to Earth. World goes wild with rejoicing. Why is Supergirl crying? Well, she's crying because she says, if only this were true, but I know Superman is dead. That's only a substitute Superman. Which I guess has become the uh, the title of this issue. It's not really titled at all, but if you look this up again on Mike's Amazing World of Comics, that is the title that's given for this particular issue. So we'll go ahead and run with that. So picking up from where we left off last time, Superman dying of the leprosy from Krypton has put himself into a rocket and fired himself toward Flambron, the hottest sun in something the universe yes superman says right here the universe so far off uh far across the deep of space superman's funeral uh cortege cortage reaches its fiery destination and the rockets turn and they fire off in another direction they say to all escort vessels change course superman must face his end alone and superman flames licking at his uh space capsule says dying of Kryptonian leprosy, but soon Flambron's flames will end my torment. It's the hottest sun in the universe. Back on Earth, there's these astronomers that are set up in uh, your, your stereotypical uh, astronomy lab, and they're observing this, and one of them comments that, you know, normally they wouldn't be able to see the light from Flambron for years, but just last month, Superman actually built, built them this special hyper-telescope that uh, sadly now they're using, uh, utilizing to witness the end of Superman. And the other scientist actually comments on that. He says he never dreamed we'd be viewing it, or using it rather, to view his cremation. And shortly they see this big flare on the surface of uh, Flambron, and that's it. It's over. Superman, Earth's greatest hero, is finally dead. But wait, let's go back a moment as the Man of Steel hurdles toward the uh, uh, bleh, excuse me toward destruction. Weird flaming beings are watching, and again we go down to the surface of Flambron. Now let me just say I'm no scientist, but I'll play one for a podcast. Um, I wasn't aware that suns had a surface. You know, with them being essentially giant fusion reactors and all that. Yeah, uh, I can't talk today. Fusion reactors but uh you know again i can go along with the gag so these guys it's uh, two guys and a girl they're down on the surface of flambron and they're very cool they actually look like fire lord from marvel comics you know the the ex herald of galactus guy they're not holding big fire staffs or anything but they are all wearing uh purple outfits the guys are wearing simple purple shorts with boots and then the woman is wearing uh like a like a purple uh, bathing suit looking thing they have these little packs that look like mother boxes on their belts. We'll get to that in a moment. They see this capsule coming at them, and one of them says, It's Superman. What's happening to him? And the woman says, 
The Kryptonian leprosy has weakened his powers so badly, Flambron's heat will destroy him unless we do something. So one of the guys says, activate your modulators, and they do. And it puts this uh, thermionic sheath around uh, Superman's capsule and acts like like a cocoon, like a heat shield barrier thing that protects Superman's capsule. This is what the astronomers back on Earth had witnessed and mistaken for, you know, the final flare-out, the final burn-up of Superman's capsule. But he's actually not dead. So the uh, the mysterious fire people, they look into the capsule because, remember, it has a, a clear windshield on it conveniently so they can see in and see Superman. And uh, the woman comments saying, his face, it's changing. He still has a chance. And one of the guys says... Uh, but only if we get him away from our furnace world. We'll use radiation transport beams to carry him to the crystal planetoid. <laughs> I'm loving this. So, soon on a strange crystalline world, we've got the capsule laying on the surface of this crystal planet. It actually looks like Hoth. It's, it's just like all this ice and snow and everything. Or it actually looks like snow. I guess it's supposed to be crystal, but it looks more like ice and snow to me. Anyway... Superman, uh, the capsule doors hanging open, very looking very much at this point like uh, the rocket that brought him to, to Earth as a baby, which I think is strangely fitting. Superman's standing there and he's he's kind of rubbing his neck and he's going, "What? What happened? Why am I still alive? Who are you?" <laughs> and they identify themselves. They say, "We're Flambronians, beings of living flame." Look at your reflection in the crystal if you want to see what happened. And of course, Superman. He goes along with this. He walks over and he looks into the surface of one of the crystals that acts like a mirror. And he sees he's cured. The Kryptonian leprosy is gone. But how could such a miracle happen, he asks. And then he thinks about it. And he reflects on last issue. Now let me just say for a moment, I don't know if I mentioned this last episode. When I was a kid, I didn't have the issue before this. So I went straight from, let's see, this is 360. I went straight from 364 to this issue. Miraculously, never really felt like I missed anything. So I now, whenever I go back and I look at 365, I really know how that issue is largely filler. Essentially, all that happens in that issue is Superman loads himself into his rocket and fires himself off into space. Everything else that happens in that really is filler. It's, you know, his girlfriend's coming to, you know, say their final final farewells and things like that. His friend's reflecting on, you know, that he's dead and that sort of thing. Really only one significant thing happens in that issue. That's touched upon right here. Superman says, I know. He says, when I passed the bizarro world, those wacky bizarros... Uh, they do everything backwards, and they showed their grief by scattering kryptonite in my path. And we did see that last issue. However, again, it's all touched upon right here. That's really the only relevant thing that happened in that issue, so I never felt cheated. I never had like this big craving desire to go back and, and get that issue. I just happened to get it at some point. And uh, while I enjoy it, I think it's great, um, never felt all that vital to me. I love this progression, actually, going from 364 to 366. Anyway, we get a nice little flashback 
of a couple of the bizarros <laughs> throwing different colors of kryptonite at Superman's uh, capsule as he passed by on his uh, way to Flambron. Superman, all right, this is the awesome right here. I love Superman. I'm not a big fan, as one of my friends said not long ago. I think it might have been Mike Bailey, but I forget who. I'll let Mike take credit for it. One of them said something that I never really consciously thought about before, but then when I did, after they said it, I thought, you know, I, I can go along with that. And the thing they said was, as much as they love pre-crisis Superman, the Silver Age Superman, if you will, never really a big fan of scientist Superman. Like I say, never really consciously thought about it before, but now that I think about it, yeah, me neither. One of the reasons? Given right here. Superman says, obviously, obviously, the virus X, which gave me, uh, gave me Kryptonian leprosy, was a form of plant life like bacteria, and white kryptonite is deadly to all plants. Huh? Alright. I could maybe kind of go along with this if it wasn't for the word obviously. Um, I'm sorry, Super Dude. Um, plant, uh, bacteria is not a plant life. Now, I did look this up, and there's actually, I, I don't have it in front of me now. I couldn't even tell you where to find it, but there was a very funny article I read uh, about this whole thing where this guy really went off on a tear about this, but in a good-natured way. He, like me, it really loves the story. It's one of those stories he looks back on from his childhood and enjoys it like I do. But really, he was heavily focused on this whole thing with Superman's cure and the bacteria, the plant life, that whole thing. Apparently, there is some evidence to support that back years ago, it was, I guess, thought, or maybe in popular science or whatever, that bacteria was somehow related to plant life. The whole problem, and again, I'm getting this all from this article I read, the only problem with that was by the time of this story, they knew better. It had been long established by that point that, no, that's not really right. So I got to kind of put it on to, uh, to Leo Dorfman, the writer for this particular issue, that uh, <laughs> I guess he was going with old knowledge or didn't do his homework or, or something, um, however that works out. But... It's one of those things, you know, you can kind of just breeze right over because there are other explanations. I mean, you could you could no prize this in other ways. Maybe it was some combination of the kryptonites that the that the bizarros threw at him. Maybe Superman's super metabolism burned through the the leprosy. Maybe Flambron's licking flames, you know, who cares? He's cured. That's the awesome in this. That's the best part. Superman is back to being Superman. But, Superman says, he says, uh, but the virus X had weakened me. I would have died in Flambron if you hadn't saved me. He says, why did you do it? And these guys say, we owed you a favor, Superman. Once, when you were Superboy, you saved a distant king, uh, kinsman of ours. He says, you were visiting another fire world whose flame-breathing people had human fire-resistant bodies. And it goes into this short couple panel flashback where this guy has fallen into uh, what his wife is. His wife's sitting on the shore and she's screaming, holding her head. <laughs> it's a hilarious image. 
She's wearing a green dress. She's she's very human looking. She's got you know pink colored skin, the whole nine yards. Not like the Flambronians, which again look like Fire Lord. This woman looks. She essentially looks like Namorita with her hair on fire. She says, "Help! My husband fell into the lava ocean." So it's essentially an ocean um, made of lava. And all we see is his hand sticking out. And this reminds me very much of Creature Feature. That, that was the little commercial they used to do, like the little like going to commercial, coming back from commercial type of thing when I was... Anyway. And we see Superboy streaking in, and he says, Lava can't burn that fire creature, but he can drown in it. So Superboy just so happened, very conveniently in this story... He had swallowed some atomic material and for a time gained the ability of flame breath. And this comes in really handy in this story because the guy has drowned. But Superboy is able to use essentially mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and his flame breath brings this guy back to life. What I like about this a lot was, you know, back in this era... I don't recall you ever really getting a lot of callbacks. A, a lot of, um, you know, continuity was very, very loosey-goosey. But this is an actual callback, and there's actually an editor's note here, um, and it just says, as told in Superboy number 115. And I remember that issue. I had that issue when I was a kid, and I just thought that that was really cool that they actually tied back to something that that I remember. So... The uh, Flambronians, you know, they essentially wish Superman good luck. He thanks them for uh, for saving his life. The debts are repaid and everything. And at the bottom of page four, you get one of my absolute favorite images of Superman. You know, it's been commented before, like with, uh, say, like John Burns reimagining of Superboy, or the one that really came to my attention was... In the origin of Superman in um, the uh, Superman the Animated Series, there's a great sequence where young Clark Kent learns of his ability to fly. And there's just a nice little segment, you know, a little sequence with him flying and buzzing the, uh, the Kent farm with his newfound ability and, and really just reveling in his, his abilities, you know, his powers. I don't remember really getting a lot of that um, in the comics back in this time when I was a kid. You know, these characters, by the time I came along and was reading them, especially, like, say, Superman, been around 30, 40 years. So you didn't really get a lot of that. Whenever you did, I always really got a kick out of it. I think that's one of the reasons I really, really love this particular panel. It's Superman... He's flying along, but he's doing this this very kind of weird pose where he's obviously glorying in the fact that, you know, he's, he's back. And this is what he says. It, well, the caption box just says, joyously, Superman streaks homeward. And, and that joy is, is really shown in this panel. It's, it's just coming right off the page. And Superman's thinking to himself, how glorious to be well again, to have all my powers restored. Wait till my friends back on Earth see me. How they must have grieved for me. After all, my space journey took several days. Okay, so... I just want to say... I I feel the need to issue a warning. Up till now, I love this story. I really, really do. But... Imagine, if you will, that... 
stupid is actually a definable thing. Let's say water. That being said, I just want to warn you that you're about to get wet on this ride because we're going to go some really, really strange and awkward places here. So, it doesn't say how long it takes, but Superman eventually does arrive back on Earth. And one of the very first things that he sees is there's this monument for him, but the work has been abandoned. It's just been stopped uh, somewhere in the, in the process. And Superman says to himself, have they forgotten me so soon? He streaks by the UN building and he comments that all the UN flags should be flying at half-staff. Aren't my friends mourning me anymore? And then he happens to see this political poster. And on it, it says, Superman, uh, Superman says, a vote for J.K. Poster, it's a great name, is a vote for good government. Now, I don't remember Superman endorsing political figures really ever, but anyway... Here he says, my name being used to uh, back a political candidate. He says, Foster's a good man, but I didn't endorse him. He says, is this some kind of sick joke? Then, just around the corner, this is the kicker. This is what really gets to Superman. Unbelievable, he says. You'd think they'd show more respect for me. And he's looking in a store window. <laughs> and in the window, it's a Superman costume. Says bargain special, Superman play suits marked down to a dollar ninety eight, and he says, after all, I'm supposed to be a hero who died in the line of duty. Okay, this seems on the surface to make Superman seem like a really arrogant jerk. You know, like he's thinking like, oh, I'm Superman. They should, you know, mourn forever for me. Well, that's how I used to take it, but. I don't know. I, I guess you could still sort of kind of take it that way. I, I think I think there's two things going on. I think, yes, he's a little bit hurt by the whole thing. But I think, ultimately, his, his next little bit is really what gets to the, to the matter here. So we, we see this shot of him, and uh, he's putting on his Clark Kent uh, clothes. And he says, they couldn't know I survived. There's something screwy going on. So I think that's essentially what it is. It's not so much that he's being a big, fat egotist that he realizes that, okay, I'm Superman. I, you know, keeping my ego in check, there's a certain measure of, you know, celebrity. There's a certain measure of this is how the world would, should react to my death. He comes back having been gone a mere couple of days and, huh? that everything's cool. So I, I think that's really how he's approaching this and, and not just being a flat out egomaniac. So he switches to his Clark Kent uh, identity and goes to check things out. He goes back to the daily planet where he's really happy to see Lois again. And he's thinking to himself that he's going to have to come up with an alibi for where in the heck he's been all this time. But, it turns out Lois says that uh, you know she's happy to see him and uh, glad that he's back on his feet. That Superman had told her that he was going to be out sick for a while, but uh, you know now he's back and uh, she's really happy to see him. And Superman's thinking, I, 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 I was going off into space to be dead, so he's really confused. 
he happens to overhear a radio bulletin calling for Superman's assistance, and he's thinking to himself, "Why? How can they be calling Superman? Who who did they expect to answer? A ghost?" So he actually switches to Superman, goes flying to the scene of this crane accident, and uh, he sees his buddy Batman rescuing the crane operator. But then he sees whizzing into the scene another Superman, another Superman that basically runs in, grabs the uh, the uh, falling crane, and then just whisks away with it. Superman's really confused, so he goes back to the Daily Planet as Clark Kent. He goes to the archives to try to figure on uh, figure out what in the world happened. What? Who, how? How is there another Superman? So he goes into the archives and he finds uh, a back issue of the planet that has a news story that says, Superman, alive and well, man of steel, cured of leprosy, all Earth rejoices. And he thinks to himself, incredible. According to this story, when Superman plunged into the fiery heat of Flambron, the nucleonic flames killed the virus X germs and disinfected his body. See, there's your explanation right there. Then Superman returned to Earth and resumed his duties. He said, that story is phony as a wax banana, which is a strange expression. I've never heard that one before. He says, but who's the fake Superman who's posing as me? Next time he shows up, I'll... And then all of a sudden we get to the next time. And there's some sort of, what is it, experimental hydrofoil aircraft carrier. It's actually kind of cool looking. It's basically two aircraft carriers linked together. It kind of looks like an awkward letter H. It's actually kind of a cool concept. And uh, it's something's wrong with it. It's headed from Metropolis Beach, and it's going to run over hundreds of swimmers that are uh, you know enjoying the beach. So Supergirl streaks in, and she grabs a chain. She's actually dragging the hydrofoil uh, carrier back out. But the the swimmers are still in some sort of danger because of the uh, the powerful undertow created by the uh, the wake of the hydrofoil carrier. So Superman's about to streak into action when suddenly another Superman streaks into action. And this Superman, he's carrying this this giant net, and he's actually down in the water. And he streaks through the water with the net. He scoops up all of the uh, the swimmers and drags them to safety uh, on the shore on the beach. Superman's like, all right, I'm going to get this guy. I'm going to find out what in the world is going on. He takes off after him underwater, but this guy is super fast, swims away at super speed. And just as Superman's trying to close in, this school of fish comes between them. And Superman doesn't want to just plow through these fish and kill them. So he slows down, ends up losing the guy. And there's a great moment. I really like this where I guess... He's just headed back to his fortress to uh, to see if he can look in on this thing a little bit more. But you can also interpret it, this panel is not so much of him crashing through the ice in the Arctic. Is that It almost looks like he's mad. I always interpreted it that way, that he's actually angry. Like, he lost this guy again, still doesn't know what's going on. This is him kind of... Um, using his superpowers to kind of express his anger in, in kind of a harmless way. He's just busting up some ice, but it's a great panel. I really like this. So he goes back to his fortress, tries to, to find out if maybe Candor has something to do with it, but they've activated a, uh, a blackout screen, which has cut off all communications from outside, which I think would raise a big old red flag, but Superman just kind of takes it in stride. So he checks in, on the Phantom Zone 
villains. Now, this is one of my favorite tropes from this era of Superman. Of course, I'm a sucker for the Phantom Zone villains. I always love the Phantom Zone villains, especially uh, the pre-crisis version and everything. But I always liked the fact that he actually had a, uh, a Phantom Zone viewer where he could look in on the Phantom Zone villains from time to time. He could even communicate with them. I always thought that was a really cool idea. So he does. He looks in, and we see uh, Professor uh, uh, Vacox. We see um, um, Jaxer. And there's another dude kind of floaty-headed in the background who I can't make out. He actually looks a little bit like uh, Morbius, the living vampire. But... Uh, uh, Jaxer is the one that speaks up, and I love this. I absolutely love this. He says, Superman, we're uh, contacting you uh, mentally through the Phantom Zone viewer. He says, we could tell you who has replaced you, but squirm, baby, squirm. <laughs> Literally what Jaxer says. I didn't know they were so hip back on Krypton. <laughs> so Superman, he's, he's, he's getting flustered. So he flies around to all of these different disasters. Now, the funny thing is, it's never commented upon here. There's all these disasters going on. Why doesn't Superman just fly in and, and deal with these disasters? Instead, each one of them, he just kind of stands back and watches while an imposter Superman shows up to resolve the situation. So there's one where uh, there's a, an iceberg that's endangering shipping lanes. So this imposter uh, Superman shows up and shatters the iceberg, uh, but Superman says he never he didn't hear the sound of a blow. So basically, this imposter Superman did it without hitting the ice iceberg. Just somehow he broke it up. There's another one where uh, a volcano is endangering a Mayan temple, and we see an imposter Superman pick up the entire Mayan temple. And run away from the flames uh, to save the temple. At this point, Superman, he thinks he's got things figured out. He thinks he knows what's going on. So he goes streaking to the headquarters of the Justice League of America. Now this is at a time when the Justice League, they didn't have fancy digs. They didn't have a floaty satellite up in the sky. They didn't have a Hall of Justice. They didn't have any of that. They held their meetings in a cave. Yeah, a cave. Not even a nice cave, either. This is a cave that essentially, it's a cave, cave walls. They do have a nice picnic table, and they have one of those big, clunky Star Trek computers in the background. That's pretty much it. And uh, it looks like they have wicker chairs to sit on. And that's it. It's a pretty crappy uh, meeting place for the world's uh, awesomest super people. Anyway... Superman, he, he comes in and he's kind of lurking in the doorway and he sees Supergirl at the head of a table with five Supermen. And she's saying, okay, whose turn is it next to impersonate Superman? Superman pipes up and he says, it's my turn for a piece of the action, Supergirl. He says, the party's over, boys. I know who you are. You can take off your masks now. They all peel their masks off and, of course... These are the Justice Leaguers. What's hysterical here is typically in comics what would happen if somebody unmasks, then like a panel later, it's like they're fully unmasked. So like if, if Batman, for example, he's disguised as Matches Malone 
and he wants to reveal himself to the villain or whatever, he'll pull his rubber mask off, but then, like, the very next panel, he's fully Batman. You know, he, he doesn't have any of the clothes still on or anything. He's in his full Batman outfit. Doesn't happen here. They all pull their masks off, yet they're all still wearing Superman outfits. So it's a really odd visual. And you've got uh, The Flash, Batman, Green Lantern, The Martian Manhunter, and Aquaman. And they're really, really happy to see him. The Martian Manhunter actually identifies Superman with his Martian vision and everything. Tells the others that, nope, this is the real McCoy, all right. Uh, But how in the world did he get out of uh, Flambron alive? Superman tells him what he knows and everything. And they're wanting to... Superman wants to know, uh, you know, what what was up with the... uh, You know, why were they doing this? So Supergirl says, after I saw you plunge into Flambron, I contacted Kandor. And we get a nice little flashback of giant-headed Supergirl looking in on the teeny tiny little people that live in the bottle city of Kandor. And she's saying, Kandorians, since Superman is dead, one of you must leave the bottle and carry on for him on Earth. We'll announce that he somehow survived the Virus X. And there's a scientist, complete with clipboard, and he's got some test tubes behind him with all these uh, guys that uh, they're, they're undergoing some sort of rigorous something or other. And he says, we're already putting our worthiest candidates through the physio-mental tests. Later, our people will choose the new Superman from those who make, uh, make the best scores. Huh? All right, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to this in a minute. So basically, this guy wraps up his conversation with her. Well, she says, she asks him, she says, why not just choose Vanzi, who is uh, also Nightwing? Or this one got me. She says, why not choose Vanzi or Donnell? She says, they're both perfect doubles for Superman and can easily replace him uh, without anyone being the wiser. Now, it's a shame for me to have to admit this. I had to look up Donnell. I'm like, who in the heck is Donnell? Turns out, Donnell is the son of Jor-El, you know, Superman's father, Jor-El. He's the son of Jor-El's twin brother. Now I was like, no, wait a minute. Jor-El's brother is Zor-El, Supergirl's father. Turns out there were three, uh, three brothers. Or, you know, there's, uh, J- there's Jor-El and his brother Zor-El, of course. But then he also had a twin named uh, Nim-El. That's Donnell's father. I'm like, why am I just learning about this? Why am I just hearing about this? So I looked up Donnell. As near as I could determine, this dude only ever ever had one appearance. Off the top of my head, I can't remember what the appearance was. But it was kind of a one-off type of thing. And I don't... I couldn't really seem to find anything else where he'd been anywhere else. If somebody else knows differently, please clue me in on this. Because this seems to me like an incredible incredible missed opportunity now such a big deal has been made over the years of of superman and you know last survivor last son all that sort of thing and then kara comes to earth his cousin you know the the girl of steel and they have this close relationship you know they're cousins and and you know the last son and daughter and blah 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 listen nimel dude he's their cousin too and it, it just seems really awkward to me that dude gets no play at all 
maybe he's like a black sheep. Maybe he's kind of a jerk. Um, they just don't li- I don't know. What, what's the deal with this guy? And so basically Superman has two lookalike cousins. Because Nimel is literally his cousin. And then Van Z, if I remember right, is somehow related to, I think he was Jor-El's cousin. Superman's father, so that makes them what? I've never been good at this. Is that second cousins? Something like that? So anyway, they're, they're, it's all blood. They're all related. That's why they all look alike. So she says, why not choose one of these guys? This just makes sense. They already look like him. And the scientist gets kind of snooty. He says, no, this must be determined by the voters. And he says, as is our custom during the elections, I'll activate the electronic blackout screen, which cuts, uh, all, uh, cuts off all communication with the outside world. That's why Superman, when he got there, they were being blacked out. I just take it as this guy's being a real butt. So he turns off the thing because he doesn't want to talk to Supergirl anymore. In the meantime, Earth's criminals have begun a worldwide crime wave. All right, I can see that. I, I, I can go along with that part. Superman's gone. Criminal's element goes nuts. But I'm thinking criminal elements such as Luthor, Brainiac, Prankster, Toyman, uh, you know, all the, the, the Superman rogues galleries. No. What we get here, we get a bunch of hippies breaking into an art gallery, and we get these, uh, I don't know who these guys are supposed to be. I guess they're just supposed to be prisoners. They all look like... Uh, want to be Al Capones or something, and they're carrying Tommy guns and stuff. They're, they're staging a prison break. All right, Superman's dead. Where are the cops? These are ordinary criminals. Uh, you know, not only could, could Batman and the Justice League and everybody deal with these guys, the cops can deal with these guys. That's what they do. They deal with this every single day. They can go bust some hippie heads. You don't need Superman for this. So... I get the whole worldwide crime spree thing, but show me super criminals on the on the you know on the crime wave, not these guys. Anyway, a great panel again looks badly photoshopped of Batman, you know, with his bat mask on, wearing a Superman outfit and practicing flying with apparently he'd been given an anti gravity belt by Superman at some point in the past. So this is all flashback where Supergirl has basically recruited the Justice League to impersonate being Superman until such time as Kandor picks the next Superman, elects the next Superman. Again, I'm going to touch on that. So that's why they were impersonating Superman, because they wanted to scare the criminal element into believing that Superman was back and they better knock it off. Superman figured out who the Justice League was, by the way, because the way that uh, the one imposter Superman captured the crane, well, only Green Lantern's ring could perform that job. Okay, I can think of like 40 other superheroes that could do that too, but we'll go along with the gag. The whole thing with the net and the swimming and all that, yep, that was Aquaman. The uh, shattered iceberg without uh, throwing a punch, that was uh, the Flash using his vibratory powers, and you know, insert joke here. And the Mayan temple and moving it away from the flame, well, of course, that's the Martian Manhunter. He's just as powerful as Superman, which is something a lot of people forget. But his one big weakness isn't kryptonite, it's fire. So that's why he had to kind of run away from uh, from the fire, which 
does beg the question, why send the guy that's weak to fire to deal with a volcano in the first place? But again, we're just going to let that go. I got to be perfectly honest with you. I love this storyline. I absolutely adore this storyline. I even love this issue. I really, really do. I think the art's fantastic. I think the story's a heck of a lot of fun. But, admittedly, the resolution of this story, kind of dumb. But I love these last two panels. Superman thanks his friends. He says, I should have known my Justice League buddies would go to bat for me. Thanks, all of you. And they're all smiling. And Batman... He's smiling too. He used to do that. He says, anytime, pal. Superman, he's streaking off. He says, you boys can relax now. I'll handle my jobs from here on in. And the Flash, they're all standing around. They're all watching Superman streak off. And the Flash says, as understudies, we weren't bad. But let's face it, there's only one Superman. And that was the le- uh, Leper from Krypton Saga. I hope you dug it, because I do. I love this story. I get a big old kick out of it. I do have a couple of notes about this one. Um, Let's see where to start here. Okay, let's kind of flip back through my notes. Let's see, I touched on that. Oh, goodness gracious. Page... Yeah, we touched on that. Let's see what else we got here. I'm sorry, this is fascinating audio, isn't it, folks? We touched on that. Okay, well, really the, the big thing to touch on here does go back to both page 11 with Supergirl and the Kandorian scientist. But really, the problem, as it were, if you want to call it a problem, starts with the cover. And this actually came up earlier in the uh, in this uh, this particular storyline as well. This idea of Superman as a job. Superman didn't answer some advertisement in the classifieds. This, this isn't a job posting. You know, he didn't go to the local police precinct and say, uh, "Hey, you guys got an opening for Superman?" And Superman is not Captain America. You know, somebody didn't come up with him to to fill a need, you know, to go punch Hitler in the face. I'm not sure. See, there there is, when I think back on it, there is something of a disconnect during this time, during this particular version of Superman, as it were, this origin of Superman, between the time of, okay, you know, so he rockets to Earth as a baby, he's raised by the Kents, and he grows up into Superboy. Eventually, he becomes Superman. There is somewhere in that origin story, awesome as it is, there there is an element that's missing of how and why. How did he become Superman in the sense of he, he just decided one day to put on a costume and now he's a legend worldwide. He's accepted. He works with the police all of that, it was one of those things that because he started way back, you know, when he started, that somehow never seemed to get refreshed as as far as where did that transition happen. Now, eventually there would be that series, um, Superman The Lost Years, I think it's called. It's a four-issue miniseries done in the 
think it was the early to mid eighties had a bunch of Frank Miller covers on it. I will admit I've never read that. I couldn't make it past the art in that. I guess I need to read that one of these days though, because something tells me maybe that sort of fills that in a little bit. Um, you know, how Superman progressed to that point of, of worldwide acceptance. But I, I think part of what muddies that up is that during this time, Superboy was a part of his story. So where exactly does that start? You know, where do you get one day this, this kid, which I think he started at something like eight years old or something. This kid shows up on the scene, wickedly superpowered, and one day becomes Superman, again, fully accepted, works with the cops, you know, works with Earth's governments, that sort of thing. Not, uh, you know, not feared, not, uh, you know, where the government wants to, to kidnap him and, and exploit him or dissect him or anything. I mean, I don't want that to be part of Superman anyway, but still, <laughs> even back in the innocent... 40s and 50s there would be that uh you know that tendency of of the government to want to kind of take a look at this guy so it's just very interesting that for this particular story for for leo dorfman's take on superman that that superman is is a position is a is a job that kal-el is filling that's very awkward i don't remember another time and again you know if someone else knows differently please point me uh, in the right direction i can't remember another time where this whole idea of gee if something happens to superman uh the kandorians are going to have to step up and uh and and pick somebody to replace him i i don't recall that ever being a, a story point anywhere else so definitely interesting um not something i i really thought about a lot as a kid but definitely rereading this now as an adult definitely jumps out to me in this story that it just seems a little bit odd it almost seems to uh to lower superman just a little bit it's funny that superman himself what was he aware of this did he know of this uh i guess you could call it a contingency plan that gee if something happens to me at least the kandorians are there uh, you know, at a moment's notice with their super science to have a bunch of dudes in test tubes and, and ready to elect the next Superman to take my... That, he never said that. And at the end of the story where Supergirl's kind of recollecting and, and filling him in on the plot and what's been going on and you know, why his friends were impersonating him and, and basically stalling for time, if he wasn't aware of it, He's aware of it now, and we don't get his reaction to that, which is kind of a shame. I, I would like to, you know, again, this is a time when, when these are largely written for, for kids, so they're not going to get into a lot of uh, explore, you know, deep exploration of psyche or anything like that, but I think it would be something fun to explore. How would that affect him? What What would he think of that? Because I know later on... You know, there's there's the story where, uh, you know, he kind of famously um, sort of gives up his powers for a time to, in the attempt to just live a normal life. I don't recall, again, I, I have not read that story since I was a child, so I'd, I guess I need to go back and take a look at it. But I don't recall 
that being an element of that story. And again, <laughs> for the umpteenth time, somebody correct me if I'm wrong on that, but does that come up in that story where the Kandorians are like, well, if he's not going to be Superman anymore, then uh, let's hold an election and, and elect the next one. Uh, I, I really don't recall that ever coming up again. So, But anyway, I felt like I, uh, I have beat that enough, but... Like I said, it's just one of the, the aspects of this story that really, really does fascinate me. Another element that really fascinates me is just simply the fact that this story takes place not only in my birth year of 1968, but in just one of the coolest years, one of the coolest uh, eras of the 20th century. You know, the space race was on by the end of the year. We'd make it to the moon. Now, we wouldn't land on the moon in 1968, but uh, in December of 68, of course, was when uh, Apollo 8 famously went to the moon, circumnavigated the moon, uh, took the famous Earthrise picture, all that sort of thing. It was definitely um, quite an era. I mean, quite a leap forward for uh, for man, for ex- you know, space exploration, that sort of thing. And you could definitely tell that that was influencing the kids, influencing the pop culture all through this issue, even the story. There's the fascination with space travel, with just space as a topic. And I think that's really neat. It's definitely reflected in some of the ads that are in here. Across from page six, there's an ad. I really like this one. It says, this year, uh, excuse me, this new rather, Aurora Hobby Kit is 33 years ahead of its time. And this is an ad for the uh, Pan Am Space Clipper from the movie of the century. And the movie of the century, of course, was 2001, A Space Odyssey. And what's really neat is they really play this thing up. And uh, (laughs) here's some of the ad copy. It says, if you thought the other Cinerama movies were great, wait till you see 2001. It's the greatest MGM went all out, spent about $14 million, consulted with every important aerospace expert, and came up with the science fiction sensation of all time. Who's the star? The Pan Am Space Clipper, an intergalactic speed demon that leaves all other spaceships light years behind. And it goes on and on. The funny thing is, the uh, Pan Am Space Clipper in that is not seen for much of the movie, and it's essentially... It's it, it's a space plane. It 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 literally uh, brings Haywood Floyd from Earth up to you know that if, if you've never seen the movie, I'm sure you you know the imagery, the giant space wheel. It brings him to the wheel, which is essentially a giant way station in space. It's a it's a meeting place slash hotel restaurant. It's, it's like a giant resort in space, essentially. And he goes there. Uh, before he eventually gets deployed on his mission and goes to the moon. So, it's an important visual in the movie, (laughs) hardly the star. What's really sad was, uh, I was thinking about this and and the whole Pan Am thing and everything, and uh, Pan Am did not make it to the year 2001. They actually folded uh, 10 years prior. They folded in 1991, so it's become... uh, even stranger in that respect but a great ad anyway i really got a kick out of that one let's see what else we got for ads oh well here we go i've been saying this for years got an ad here for an issue giants 80 page giant issue 
Jimmy Olsen, number 133. And the ad copy says, Superman is Jimmy Olsen's hang-up. Well, actually, I know I haven't been saying that. I've been saying that Jimmy Olsen is Superman's hang-up, but it's the same type of thing. But it's just a nice little ad here for all these different weird and wacky uh, Jimmy Olsen stories. It's basically Jimmy Olsen being a big old pain in the butt for Superman with the helmet of hate and the king of the giant ants, the super brain of Jimmy Olsen, all these really wacky Jimmy Olsen stories. Let's see. There was another one in here I wanted to talk. Oh, yes. I like this one a lot. Now, there's a character here. He looks... uh, He's he's essentially just a boy. He's a cartoon boy wearing a, a space suit. And, uh, and a bubble helmet. It says he's the Cheerios kid. Now, this is way before my time. I don't remember Cheerios ever having a, a mascot like this. I definitely do not remember the Cheerios kid. So I have no idea how long lived he uh, or long lived he may have be it may have been or not have been. But what I like about this is the Cheerios kids in the bottom portion of the ad. The top portion of the ad is for something called Intel Sat Three satellite. This is like the early birds. These satellites will hang thousands of miles above the Earth. They will be sent up in 1968. Each one can bounce 1,200 telephone calls and four television channels from one side of the Earth to the other, all at the same time. They rotate with the Earth and always remain above the same spot on the Earth. They get their energy from solar energy cells. And these are real things. The, the Intel Sat, I think that company's still around, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah, there were dozens of Intel Sats uh, satellites that were put up there. And a lot of times in, in old movies from around this, this era, when they would show stuff up in space or they'd show satellites and everything, the, the Intel Sat type of satellite is like that, that stereotypical satellite image that we all kind of think of and uh i just thought that was really cool let's see the only other thing in here there is a backup feature which i'm not going to go into it's uh, a supergirl feature um was never really keen on, uh, on a lot of these supergirl features they're they're really wacky and i'm not sure who the intended audience it was i guess girls but i just i, I seldom read one that i really got much of a kick out of However, I thought it was interesting that on the very night that I uh, sat down to kind of refresh myself on this particular issue, in this issue here, uh, Supergirl's College, Stanhope College, gets encased in a giant bubble over the entire college that uh, nobody can break through. This was on the same night that I sat down to watch the first episode of the new uh, uh, series, miniseries, whatever it is, uh, um, Stephen King's The Dome, so I just thought that was a weird bit of uh, coincidence there. Lastly, there is a great back cover uh, ad page for Hot Wheels, and I just I love, love these classic 60s Hot Wheels ads. They're just so much fun, uh, especially for me, because I, I wound up with a lot of the cars and track from this time because of my older uncles um, would give me just boxes of all their old Hot Wheels stuff. So I actually owned a lot of these cars and a lot of these track sets. So wish I knew what happened to them today. I have no idea whatever I did with them. Probably passed them on to younger cousins or something. I have no idea, but I'm sure that stuff's got some uh, some value to it, but... That is essentially it for Action Comics 366. Again, I hope you dug it. So, 
Let's get to the elephant in the room. Where have I been? What has been going on with this show? Why did I say this was the last episode? Well, okay. So where have I been? When it comes to Superman, I'm just going to put it on the table. I've been depressed. I was kind of bummed out. And I sat down to do this show to cover this particular issue a good number of times. And each time I did it, I just wasn't feeling it. Now, there's a number of reasons for that. Largely, they concern uh, the recent movie, Man of Steel. I'm not going to go into that here for a number of reasons. Um, The two biggest ones being... I'm kind of tired of the whole thing. I'm tired of fighting about it. I'm tired of feeling like I'm at odds with friends. That sort of thing. But the biggest reason, the primary number one reason, is that I love Superman. I truly love this character. He's my childhood hero. He's the person I think we should all aspire to be more alike. And I see Superman in a particular way. One of the aspects I see him in is very being very positive. I think he's a positive force for good. He's a positive force for right and for moral fortitude and, and so many things. That's what I want to try to bring to this show. That's what I want to try to emulate. I, I want to try to channel Superman into this show. So if nothing else comes through, I want that positivity to come through. So I don't want to be negative on this show. I I never want to bring the room down. You know what I mean? I I want it to be a celebration of the character and and my love for him and, and share that enthusiasm. If there's one common piece of feedback that I've gotten from just about everybody who's written in or PM'd me, or or just spoken to me about this show, is they've all commented on, you know, the the energy, that they really like what I bring to it, my enthusiasm, my obvious love for the character. I appreciate that. You have no idea what that means to me to hear that from people. It really means a lot, because that's the intent of the show. It's to show how much this character means to me, how much I love him and, and the stories Um, that I'm going to be focusing on. So that's what I want to bring. I I don't want it to turn into uh, another argument about the merits or lack thereof of anything, you know, whether it's Man of Steel or or anything else out there. I I don't want to fight about things. I I don't want to be negative. I I don't want it to turn into uh, some sort of rant show. I I know that there's (laughs) a a good portion of, of Two True Freaks listenership that just love to hear me go off on a good old rant. Well, I'm sorry, but you're not going to get that from this show. This show has a higher purpose, if you will. Also, I will step onto my high horse for just a moment with this next statement. I want the show to be kid-friendly. I have really tried to corral myself. I have caught myself when I've listened back to the first, you know, to, to the episodes prior to this, once or twice I've slipped here and there. It's harder for me sometimes than I realize that it is not to cuss and not to say things I shouldn't say 
to you know in, in the presence of children to a family friendly you know family friendly kid friendly audience superman should always be kid friendly this is where the high horse thing comes in i think that's one of the major issues i have with man of steel not kid friendly you shouldn't ever do that with Superman. That might be fine on some Elseworlds limited series or one shot or some special thing that you're doing for the adult fans, you know, for the collector's market, whatever. But when you're putting something out there, mass market, mass market appeal with a character that I was going to say arguably, I don't even think it's arguably. I think Superman's for everybody, but at the end of the day, Superman, he appeals to children. At least he should. You know, In my generation, Superman was for kids. It's, it was kind of your first thing after, you know, whatever, Mickey Mouse and Winnie the Pooh, Superman, for boys. Maybe girls, too. I don't know. But definitely for boys. You know, Superman was one of those touchstones of our collective childhood. I think he should still be that way. I think he should always be that way. Does that possibly retard his growth process? Maybe it does. I, I'm willing to accept that so that my children and grandchildren, great-grandchildren, and generations from now can still have this character and latch onto him as a common touchstone so that he's always there for children. I, I think it's an absolute crime to put something out there mass market where Superman isn't accessible to a child. Somebody somewhere has failed when they allow something like that to happen. So I'll step off the high horse. This show is going to be kid-friendly if it kills me. So that's where I've been. I've been kind of getting my head together and where I want to go with this show and, and what I want it to be. I want it to be positive. I want it to be kid-friendly. I want it to be about Superman. So, the final episode. Alright, I say it's the final episode of... I've got a few things to say about Superman because... I'm going to change the name of the show. I've been thinking about this for a long time. I like that name. But almost immediately from the launch of this show... Somebody somewhere, I think it actually was a couple of somebodies, pointed out to me something that never even occurred to me, is that I've got a few things to say about Superman can be construed as passive-aggressive. Never even occurred to me. That definitely was not my intention. My, you know, it was not my intention to say it in a haughty toddy well, I've got a few things to say about Superman. Man, that sounded like John Wayne. Um... That was not my intention. My intention was just to come up with a snappy title that, you know, speaks from where I'm coming from. So, it's kind of stuck in my craw ever since that was pointed out to me that, you know, they're probably right. That probably does have a negative connotation. I don't, I've not been comfortable with that. I've kicked around dozens of names dozens and dozens of names trying to come up with something that felt like it would work it wouldn't be 
um, too grandiose. It wouldn't seem like I was overstepping myself or, or stepping on toes or anything like that. Because, you know, there are many other Superman podcasts out there. And there are certainly other people that are just as knowledgeable, maybe even more knowledgeable than I am when it comes to Superman. So I didn't want to make it sound like I was trying to elevate myself or something like that, you know, to put myself over the other. So I've been trying like crazy to come up with something else. And then it was kind of pointed out to me that, uh, hey, you know, you kind of got something already built in. Because the way this show starts, and the quote at the beginning of the show, one of the titles that, uh, that seemed like kind of a natural was, hey, it's Superman. Because I love that quote. That's why, that's why I picked it. I love that moment of the movie. So I got in touch with my friend Andy Leyland of the Hey Kids comics to say, you know, I'm thinking about doing this, but I don't want there to be any uh, confusion or conflict with his show, Hey Kids Comics. So two shows on our feed with Hey in the title, I don't know. I like the sound of it, but I just wasn't sure about it. I did get Andy's blessing, by the way. But at the end of the day, it it does seem like it's intruding on his space. So I've decided I'm going to narrow it right down. And this, again, was pointed out to me by a listener that, yes, the kid does, the first kid says, hey, it's Superman. But in the background, you can see somebody else say something, it's Superman. So it's Superman. Sounds like a, a pretty good title to me. However, <laughs> of course, there's that book out there by, uh, what's his name, Tom DeHaven. I'm pretty sure that's the title of that book. So with apologies to Tom DeHaven, not ripping him off, I like that title. It's Superman. So next episode will be called, and thereafter, simply, It's Superman. Speaking of next episode, it will come out pretty darn quick. The other reason that uh, I wanted to get on this as quick as I, uh, you know, get back to this as quick as I could, is American Independence Day is coming up. July 4th. Uh, 2013 is, you know, the birthday of our country. And I wanted to have a special uh, comic to cover for for Independence Day. I always like to do an Independence Day show. And this time around, I thought It's Superman was the perfect place to do that because one of my favorite, favorite, favorite Superman stories actually involves Independence Day. So that will be next episode, and look for that to be released on or slightly before uh, July 4th. So yeah, you're getting two episodes basically right back to back, and uh, I've got to get busy recording that one, so I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up for this time. I hope you guys have enjoyed the show. Please write in, let me know uh, what you think, and... uh, how you enjoyed the show, how I can do it better, all that sort of thing. Uh, keep those uh, cards and letters coming, as they say, because I really do enjoy hearing from you guys about the show. And uh, I enjoy it when you guys share your passion for this character as well. Also, write in with uh, suggestions. If there's particular stories that you'd like me to take a look at, let me know. I'm, uh, I'm open to that sort of thing. I do have 
uh, things plotted out for the, at least the, the next little bit as far as what I want to uh, discuss and what I want to cover, but uh, I'm always open to, uh, to new suggestions, so write in, let me know. But I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up here because I'm running much longer than I intended to, so thanks again for uh, joining me, and I will see you for Independence Day. You can contact Back to the Bins to leave feedback, comments, questions, suggestions, and criticisms via email at backtothebins at gmail.com or by visiting the Two True Freaks section of www.forumforgeeks.com. Back to the Bins is produced in association with the Two True Freaks podcast, which you may find at www.twotruefreaks.com and is a registered trademark of Demanzacor of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Back to the Bins is a proud member of both the League of Comic Book Podcasts, which you may find at comicbooknoise.com slash league, and also the Comics Podcast Network, which you may find at comicspodcast.com. Take a moment to stop by their respective sites and support their other fine podcasts, won't you? Thanks, and we'll see you next week. From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look, up on the screen, it's Superman. Superman, the movie.